listener production. When I did breakfast radio, the number one question people asked me was, what time do you get up in the morning? And, well, the answer is 3.45am, which obviously is very early and at times was very challenging. But actually, the hardest part of that job was the feeling that if you didn't bring the best performance, ideas, stories, jokes, the best every single day, the show wouldn't rate and you would fail. And if you failed, you'd lose your job. And sometimes that meant other people lost their job as well. And there was just a sense of impending doom, really, if you weren't bringing your absolute best every single day. And there wasn't a moment, day or night, weekend or weekday, when I wasn't aware of that. And the pressure of that made me cry all the time. I just cried all the time. And even now I feel sick in my stomach thinking about it. And I thought it was normal. I didn't, it didn't occur to me at the time that that is not a way to function and that is not normal and it's not healthy. The thing is, I'm certain that that is not specific to the job I had then. I don't think it matters what our job or our industry might be. I think that kind of pressure to perform is there for all of us. And on top of that, many of us are fronting up to work with a layer of mental health challenges, whether it's anxiety or depression, and having to still perform, still be at our best in our workplace, fearing that maybe we're not, and absorbing all of that while trying to manage our mental health. It's just not sustainable. So today's episode is about supporting you in your workplace, because if we struggle at work, the rest of our lives can be deeply affected. And trust me, no one wants you crying in the corner at a party. It's not fun. (laughs) My co-host is Dr. Jamie Lee. Hi there, Jamie. Hi, Joe. So Jamie, I know this is your specialty. You work with organisations to support their employees and their wellbeing. So what do you see is the most common health challenge in workplaces? The most common health challenges in the workplace is anxiety, chronic stress, clinical burnout, Mm. and and depression. And now overlay this with the fact that one in five Aussies experience some form of mental health issue at any point in any year. One in five. So that's huge. And so hence, raising awareness about mental health in the workplace is important and recognising, quite frankly, as you said, workplaces are just stressful. There's an expectation. Yeah. I feel like they're getting worse oh, as they well. they are getting worse. Like we're expected just to absorb more and more and more. All the time. You always have to give your best. They're not the safest environments. You're constantly evaluated with your job hanging over your head, right? Are you going to get this job or not? Are you going to keep it or mm. not? And that is always threatening a very basic level of survival. And it's affecting a base need. I've been there. I've been crying in the corner before. I have worked in these super highly stressful jobs where there's all these expectations. I always feel like I'm not good enough. And it makes me really anxious. And I I end up just sobbing (laughs) on the couch in the evenings. Or one day I remember just breaking down and crying while I was in an office. Um, And it was just a sense of overwhelm. Mm. And this notion of clinical burnout, I've not even heard that before, that you can be clinically Mm. diagnosed burnout. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's stress. And the thing is, we can handle a certain amount of stress day to day at work. And that's when we've spoken about the stress response and your body is 
activated and it's a sense of performance. Now, if you sustain this for a long period of time, your body's exposed to cortisol for a longer period of time. And this means you are experiencing chronic stress, right? Now, it hits a point where your body can no longer sustain that level of cortisol and chronic stress. You know, the, the cortisol affects every, like I said, it affects every system in your body. It impairs your immune system. It weakens all your defenses. It affects your mental health. It affects your sleep, puts you at risk of heart disease and stroke and diabetes and your gut health and your libido, everything. That's not a good time. Oh, it's <laughs> awful. And the thing is, if you keep going, you actually tip over the edge and you enter a state of burnout. And it's a state of sheer exhaustion. And it's termed clinical burnout because it actually is something that doctors can diagnose. You have no sense of agency. You have no sense of control. You feel completely powerless. It's a struggle to get out of bed. You lack motivation. You often feel very angry at the work that you have to do. It's no longer something that, you, that gives you any joy to get up and go to work. Wow, that sounds horrific. And I can't believe that we're working at a rate that is causing that, that mm-hmm. this is a society we have built on a work rate that expects us to absorb and just find capacity for that. Mm-hmm. And I don't see it changing. I work with leaders all around the world on how to be healthier and more resilient. And we're talking about mental health more and more now, way more now than in our parents' time. And yet somehow it's getting worse and worse and Mm. worse and the expectations are getting more. And what's even funnier, Joe, is like we talk about mindfulness and now mindfulness is an extra thing that you need. Are you doing mindfulness? No way you're not. Make time in your day for mindfulness. (laughs) That's not what it's supposed to be. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you say it's not changing, but that I suppose is why we're here today. Yes. To try and have the conversation and maybe change it for one person or even a workplace. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be fantastic. Well, I guess today is someone who has managed a very high pressure work environment while also managing mental health issues. And we're very lucky to have his perspective today. Hassan, welcome. Thanks for having me, Joe. So how would you describe your work environment? What kind of pressures were you under, generally speaking? It was a very, very intense work environment where, as you guys said in the intro, you were absolutely expected to perform at your 100%, if not 150%, every minute of every day. It was a top-tier management consulting firm. Clients pay this firm millions of dollars to to provide advice to CEOs, to C-suite, to boards. Um, You have to deliver a very high-quality answer that solves this organization's existential problem (laughs) in a matter of days or weeks. Um, And the organization obviously recruits from some of the the, leading universities and, and, and industries in the world, and it has an explicitly up or out culture i.e. you're evaluated every six months. If you don't meet the bar and can progress to the next level, you are immediately counseled to leave the organisation. So See, that fear of you that? could... That is like an actual... That's guillotine hanging over yeah. your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who can function under that? Oh, you're expected to. But, but you're at a heightened state the whole time. So, Absolutely. So your bandwidth, surely part of it is taken up with fear. Yes. There is a lot of fear. In that kind of culture, absolutely. I felt it. I was afraid. What were you afraid of, particularly? Afraid of failure, um, afraid of imposter syndrome, that I was a hiring mistake, that I wasn't good enough to make it, that I wasn't as good as the colleagues around me, 
that I wouldn't live up to the expectations of the clients that were paying a lot of money, that somehow I was a phony, would be found out and asked to leave at any minute. And then, of course, you know, when your mind starts playing and thinking like that, it, it goes down a rabbit hole. So then I start thinking, well, if I lose this job, will I be able to afford my mortgage? What will happen? And it just sort of mm. spirals downwards. You couldn't have been alone in feeling that way. That must have been a culture. It is a culture, but when I first started having these feelings, I felt like I was alone. I, mm. I had this obviously incorrect, in hindsight, impression in my mind that I was the only one feeling this. All I looked around and all of my colleagues looked like they were functioning really well. They looked more relaxed than me. And so I thought this was just me. Of course, nothing could be further from the truth. Eventually, I realized most people around me were feeling exactly the same way that I was. But the culture is also to look like you have it all together all the time. And so hence on the surface, everyone's always looking on and perky and happy. Oh, oh, hey, perky! Oh, perky really makes me... Right my skin crawls at perky, but you're so right. You've yeah. got to be positive and up all the time. Exactly. Like if you want to show oh, I'm having a terrible day, I'm feeling anxious, I want to cry, they think there's something wrong with you. Yeah, or that it's simply unprofessional, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a client service, professional services firm. Clients are paying you a lot of money. They're not paying you a lot of money to rock up and look like you're miserable. They've got problems. They're hiring you to solve their problems. And so they don't want to hear about your problems. You're there to solve their problems. So you, you need to rock up energized and 100% focused on them. Mm. Did you feel that there was support to help you in that performance? Even aside from the mental health support, was there support to give you ways to be energised or rested when you needed to be or, you know, to to uh, stay creative or whatever it was? Was there actually a program to keep you on top of your game? I'd say very little. There was obviously very good technical training to help you do the actual job well. There were periodic reflection type trainings once a year where you could sort of think back on how you'd gone and 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 talk to your colleagues and identify ways to re-energize yourself. Um, but on a day-to-day basis, I wouldn't say there was a lot of conscious support to keep you energized. I'd have to agree. All right. There's, there's, they are aware that stress can cause issues and they might say, okay, you need to have a break. All right. We hear that you need a break for a few weeks, but that isn't celebrated. It tends to go on as a bit of a mark and a bit of a red flag so that other teams know, oh, he or she's just a little bit more fragile. Mm. And, it's, and it's not celebrated from, hey, they're taking time out to renew themselves. No, there's no, oh, well, I, I've been in teams in radio and outside of radio where everybody says, we have to have the culture where you can put your hand up and say, I'm going to take a day off. And everybody goes, yes, yes, yes. But then when you do, <laughs> no one wants you to take the day off. Yeah. When I was working in a top tier consulting firm before and leading teams, there were a few times I was assigned a team member and the people who assigned him would flag it to me saying, oh, he has performance issues. And I, I remember this, this person very clearly. Um, and I was informed ahead of the project that he has performance issues. He's already been given that rating once and he was, you know, they're evaluating him again in the next three months to see if he's going to get a second rating of this and then to formalise it in six months' time. But this man knew because he was told he has performance issues. 
And so they said, do you mind if you just take him on board and coach him for a little while and see if he'll perform any better? But, you know, we don't have high hopes. (laughs) Um, You know, we don't have high hopes. Just do your best. And when he joined our team, what I saw as someone from a medical background, I didn't see someone who was performing badly. I actually saw just someone who was really burnt out, someone who was exhausted. He was anxious and his nervous system was so overactivated, he couldn't even think straight. And on top of that, he thought he was going to lose his job in about three to six months. Yeah, I don't know, being like giving someone the, the title performance issues, performance issues. is not going to bring out their best. <laughs> well, what got interesting, Joe, was I took him out to lunch just before this project kicked off. And I just wanted to get to know him just as a human, not as a colleague or as a team member, but as a human and to make him feel safe so that his system would not be so overactivated. And then empowered him by giving him more bite-sized pieces of work. So supported him in a way that would help him get out of this very negative spiral that Hassan alluded to earlier. And that requires a little bit of thought. And also said, please sleep multiple hours a night, like seven to eight hours, eat well, let's have health goals, let's have lots of fun with the team, creating that sense of social engagement and connection. And all of this, it took about three weeks, two to three weeks of supporting him, making him feel safe. And then suddenly he switched from this state of anxiety to a state of relaxed, focused. He felt safe. And he turned around his performance 180 degrees to the point where six months later, He's one of the top performers of his cohort. The whole office is celebrating this person. And he forgets, actually, nine months earlier, they all thought that he was going to be fired. Would you say, Hassan, there were times when you didn't manage that kind of pressure, emotionally, mentally, that you felt like you were really not on top of your the expectation of you? Absolutely. Especially in my first year before I developed the... I think the tools and strategies to manage my anxiety. So in my first year, I was I was essentially very similar to the person that Jamie just described. I was obviously super stressed. It started to affect my sleep. I stopped sleeping. The anxiety kind of went up a level and became chronic stress. And then it went up a level and became full-blown anxiety. I started having panic attacks at work. Sometimes I'd be at a client site and I'd have to run into the bathroom and take deep breaths to just calm myself down. Um, I was just in a constant state of fear. Um, it was slowing down my work. I started to get paralyzed. So I'd have a meeting coming up or I'd have a deliverable I was supposed to work on and I would literally just freeze up and I would just sit there for hours not doing a single thing, staring at my screen and and worrying about what am I going to do when my manager asked me, where's your deliverable, where's where's the draft? Um, it, it was horrible. It, it really was miserable. And I'm... Figuring, similarly to me with, you know, crying all the time, that there are signs before you get to that stage, signs before you're in crisis, but you you suppress it because you feel like you're not able to put your hand up and say, I'm not dealing with this. Absolutely. I think early on, I didn't quite know what was happening. And so I wasn't able to recognise when I actually had hit the tipping point from stress into anxiety. Because when I'm stressed, and as Jamie said earlier, um, stress helps me perform. I perform really well when I'm under stress. And I didn't realise that this was different, that I'd actually 
cross some internal threshold and that I was no longer just stressed. I was now anxious and paralyzed. I didn't realize what was happening. So now you're layering an actual diagnosed mental health issue. Absolutely. Which was anxiety. Yes. And depression. Mostly anxiety, mild, mild depression. So when I got to crisis point, I took a few weeks off. I tried to sort of do the usual things, sleep, go on holiday, relax, took three weeks off work. I came back thinking, okay, well, I've slept now. I'm relaxed. It should be better, right? It should, it should go away, but it hadn't. I started another project and I was feeling exactly the same way. And so then I got worried. I'm like, okay, so the usual things have not worked. I think I need help. And so for the first time in my life, I, I actually went to a professional psychologist and psychiatrist. And that's when I sort of got the diagnosis that I had basically had, you know, chronic anxiety disorder. Um, probably exacerbated by things like lack of sleep, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so finally, with an actual diagnosis, I could talk about a treatment plan with my doctors. The immediate things was that I went on anti-anxiety medication, but that can take at least three weeks, sometimes much longer to, to sort of take effect. Um, in the more short term, my doctor also prescribed sleeping medication so that I could actually sleep. Force, Please. force Please. myself, exactly, <laughs> to switch off. Because there were periods where I was sleeping, but it wasn't restful sleep. Because even if I was out of it, my, my mind was actually not shutting off. And so I was waking up no more re-energized or relaxed than I had I was before I went to bed. So immediate short-term thing was sleeping medication. That sort of bought me some time until you know, the anti-anxiety medication kicked in. And then even that really bought me time to then sort of start working with um, a, a therapist that I trusted to sort of actually start to work through what's causing this, what's behind it, and, and sort of to develop, I guess, more sustainable coping mechanisms. Would you say that your anxiety disorder was brought on by work? No. Okay. I think it was triggered by work at that particular point in time, but there have been other examples since where actually my anxiety has been triggered by going on a bad date mm. or feeling Fair enough. <laughs> invalidated in another part of my life. Um, so I think, I think work can be a trigger, but other things can be a trigger. Um, but no, I think my anxiety, you know, I, I'm not the expert here. I'll, I'll leave it to Jamie, but I think it, it could be partly genetic. It could be partly, you know, my upbringing and as I worked through many issues, my therapist recognized that there were elements from my childhood that had not equipped me to deal with severe stress or environments where I was constantly at fear of being invalidated. We've spoken about the miracle of our memory and how it's able to hold on to past triggers mm. before. Mm. Jamie, I'm imagining that there are lots of people going to work with whatever their mental health challenge is. and not being able to separate it from the the stresses the work brings on for them. So really not knowing how to actually help themselves. No, it's hard. And it's hard because work is a stressor and that stressor adds to all the other life stresses that exacerbate your mental health. However, at work, stress can actually cause feelings of anxiety. In the short term, that's fine. But when that's sustained, those anxious feelings and they keep lingering on, that's when it starts tipping over into anxiety. And so developing 
anxiety or developing depression, it is multifactorial as what Hassan was saying. There isn't just one reason or it's just because of work that has caused this or because there's multi, you know, it's just family that has caused it. It's a multitude of different factors and the triggers can come in all sorts of different ways. So how long were you trying to function as close to as normal or high performance whilst managing anxiety disorder and possibly depression as well? I'd say it was almost nine months. Oh, that's so long. It was probably amongst the longest nine months of my life. It felt like the longest. I That was nine months of sleeping poorly, feeling like shit all the time, um, feeling afraid, not being able to socialise. Um, I lost weight. I, I, I think during that nine months, I probably lost close to 10 kilos. I almost wasn't able to eat because I was constantly nauseous from the anxiety and the butterflies in my stomach and the fear. I withdrew from kind of social life. I didn't want to go to parties. Um, I wasn't sleeping, but I wasn't doing anything with my time either. So even on weekends, sometimes I would wake up at like four in the morning, not be able to go back to sleep, but not actually get out of bed until afternoon. I would just sit there for eight hours staring at the ceiling, running through all these worst case scenarios in my mind. And so I did that for almost nine months before I finally made that appointment and went and saw a psychiatrist. Something that I really admire about you, Hassan, is that you took that step to go and seek help. Whereas it's much more common, especially when you're struggling with anxiety or clinical burnout or depression or any mental health issue at work or at home, you can lose all sense of agency. You can feel out of control, disempowered. And that step to go call and ask for help might just seem too big. And it did. I mean, part of me wonders why didn't why did it take nine months? Mm. But, uh, you know, it, it did. And oh, I think uh, it took you nine months because you were crippled in your bed. Yeah. Like literally yeah. paralysed. Yeah. Exactly. I think just like I was paralysed at work, I was even paralysed in making basic decisions in my personal life. So even the decision to find the energy to make the decision and action it and mm. actually call and make the appointment, even that became, like, I didn't have the capacity to even do that. And that's something that I would love our listeners to also understand, that it takes that much effort when you're struggling and you're caught up in, in the moment of depression or anxiety. It is that difficult. And so if you see a colleague that potentially is struggling or not looking quite themselves, just asking them, are you okay? Offering support can really, really help. Mm. Did you tell anyone at work how you were feeling or what you were going through? Not during that initial nine-month period, no. Do you think anybody and might have guessed? They may have guessed, but nobody, nobody said anything, nobody hinted at it. You know, when I took three weeks off, to try and recuperate, I told them that I had a medical condition. Um, you know, hinting that it was a you know a physical medical condition. I didn't say anything about my mental state. 
Um, so essentially I was lying to sort of try and cover. Um, but no, I didn't talk about it. I didn't actually start to talk about it until I had got treatment and started to feel better and then regained some perspective and then was able to start sharing. Mm. But it was like when I was in the, you know, the thick of it, I didn't have the the confidence or the energy to, to ask for help or to talk about it. So were you fearful of telling your colleagues because you didn't think they'd understand or did you think there would be ramifications? Good question. I think I thought there would be ramifications because in such a high-performance organisation, so much of it depends on maintaining people's confidence in you and, and you know, being perky and signalling that you're up for it and that you're resilient and that you can, you can do anything. And all of the projects are tough. It's a given. And so pe- I was afraid that people would be reluctant to staff me on projects if they thought that, you know, I was a potential liability. Like, what if, what if this person breaks down in the middle of the project and can't, can't deliver that? That would make everyone else's life on the team, which is already very difficult, even harder if suddenly the team was one person down. So fear of letting my colleagues down, fear of not being staffed, fear of not progressing, fear of being fired. Fear of looking weak. Mm. So much. Fear of looking weak. I remember when I was working in such an environment and when I was stressed, I would do my best to hold everything together, not show them any sign of weakness because I also know that they're in a state of stress. Like it might be perky stress, but they're they're very much in the state of heightened performance. And when you're in that state, you also tend to grip harder and try and control more. And so if you show that you're even a little bit out of step or potentially not in sync with everyone else's level of performance, their attention will go to you, grip harder, micromanage, which then makes me even more anxious because they're, they're like getting on top of you even more mm. rather than giving the space for you to breathe and relax a little bit. How do you feel that might have ended up for you if you hadn't sought help? I think eventually my worst fears would have become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, yes, eventually my paralysis was slowly but surely leading to a steady decline in my work performance, my ability to produce output. And so if I had not sought help, eventually I probably would have been rated issues and and told that, you know, you don't seem to be able to perform or handle the stress of this job and maybe you'd be happier elsewhere. I think that would have mm-hmm. eventually happened and it was starting to happen. Eventually, though, you went and you were open about your health. How did How did you start that conversation with your colleagues and with your employer? So once I actually sought treatment and, and, you know, my mood stabilized and my anxiety came under control and um, I I sort of went back to being myself and being able to perform and be able to enjoy work, um, then, you know, my confidence came back and I I realized that, you know, I had had a medical issue. I had a mental health problem. It was undiagnosed and untreated. It was affecting me. Now I had sought treatment. I was better. I was able to perform well. And so I guess... I started to talk about it more from a desire to share my experience and to help other people because having had gone through that experience, I suddenly became acutely aware that actually there are many people in this organisation going through exactly the same experience. Could you see it in there? I could see it because then I could recognise the symptoms in myself, you know, where I would see somebody who maybe I hadn't seen in a few months and previously they were 
full of joy and energy and you could see this, the, you know, the sparkles in their eyes and you'd suddenly see them and they would look burnt out, exhausted, sad, sunken hollows under their eyes. And I would be like, are you, are you okay? And, and, you know, like me, maybe when I was in my denial phase, they'd say, oh yeah, I'm fine. It's just, it's just been a tough project. And I'd say, you know, I'd normally, or well, previously I may have taken that at face value. Now I had my own personal experience to compare it against. And I'm like, I think there's something more here. And that sort of led me to sort of maybe at times go out of my way to invite that person out for a quiet coffee and just probe a little bit deeper. And sometimes people would take me up on that offer and, and they would open up and, and I'd be like, I went through exactly the same thing. And then they'd be, they'd be shocked. They're like, really you? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, me. Like I've, I've gone through exactly what you described. And they're like, well, how did you deal with it? I'm like, guess what? I'm currently in therapy. I'm on anti-anxiety medication. I'm, you know, X, Y, Z. And, and then, you know, you would sort of, I guess, bond over that and, 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 you know, they may not necessarily be ready to seek that help, but at least hearing about somebody else's experience makes them realize that, you know, they're not alone. It's not just them. There's not anything wrong with them. This is common. It happens to high performing people. Did you get any negative feedback when you did start speaking about your mental health? Never. Not once? No. Which shocked me. I just assumed people would be sort of awkward or reluctant to staff me or to engage me, but actually not once. I cannot think of a single time where anyone said anything uh, negative or anything less than supportive. And I became increasingly confident over time to tell more and more senior people. And so at some point I was telling, you know, the the senior partners on my projects or the head of um, the firm about my mental health problems and even they were okay with it. So this is this is one thing that we can challenge ourselves today, I suppose, is how to react when yeah. someone tells us that we work someone we work with tells us whatever they've been going through, what is the right way to react? What would you say is the right way to react, Hassan? I don't know if I'm the best person to say what is the right way, but I guess mm. what I would suggest from my experience is an effective way to be helpful is first and foremost to, to listen, to empathise. Um, and I guess if you've gone through something similar, to share. Because when you share and you're vulnerable, it helps the other people, person to share and it helps the other person to feel like um, they're not alone and that something is common and therefore that there is nothing wrong with them. Because the worst thing you can do, I felt the worst thing I could do is for somebody to tell me that they're being, you know, they're having anxiety at work and for me to sort of nod, you know, wisely, oh, yes, that's really tough, and not to reveal that I myself had gone through the same thing. Mm. That would have felt at best dishonest. At worst, I was making the situation worse by making them feel like they were unusual in that regard. Whereas the moment I said, oh, I've gone through exactly the same thing, it had the complete opposite effect. Suddenly they were... They were relieved. They felt like there was someone to talk to. They felt like it was a safe space. They felt like, you know, they weren't an alien in this organization that actually many other people were going through the same thing and that, hey, guess what? You could also overcome this and continue to be successful. Mm. And what about in an environment, in a workplace? What, what are we doing to make our places kinder? What I think organizations need to do more of is create that, human connection and ask people if they're okay 
Like in so many organizations, you see the posters for employee assistance program mm. or are you okay day? Yeah, or, are you okay day mm. or call? And and this goes back to the point where if you're in that state, chances are you don't have the sense of agency or control to call. So it's not just about putting posters up or just saying, hey, we're doing that. And then organizations wiping themselves of that responsibility to create safe spaces and to support well, mental well-being overall, I think it needs to be part of the culture where it's talked about a lot more openly, that we recognize that at work, because of the nature of work and how performance reviews are done and how it's tied to your financial security, you will, without a doubt, experience decreased mental health. We don't need to label it, but you'll have decreased mental health of some form sometime during your work. And this is normal. And when we know that this is a universal experience, you can then approach this with a lot more compassion. You approach your colleagues, your friends at work with a lot more compassion. Mm. It's extraordinary to imagine that just by going to work, we can have decreased mental health. Like it doesn't Mm. seem like that should be okay, but it's kind of society now. It is. And I don't know how you put that genie back in the bottle. So it's up to us as individuals to Mm -hmm. step up Mm -hmm. and be the care Mm -hmm. that, you know, our work colleagues need. So if we're listening to you, Hassan, right now, feeling like, oh, my God, this is so familiar to me, even if I have not yet been in that state of paralysis, maybe I'm feeling myself slide towards that. Or maybe I feel like I'm just holding it at bay, but I've got that, that overwhelm and that burnout that sounds very familiar when Jamie talks about it. What do you say to that person, Hassan? The first thing I'd say is that you're not unique. Unfortunately, many, many other people out there are feeling the same thing. And so don't think or feel that there's something wrong with you. Um, the second piece of advice I would give is get help. Reach out. Friends, family medical professionals, there is a lot of help out there. And guess what? That help works. The, you know, Medication can be very effective for many people. Therapy can be very effective for many people. So treat it exactly the same way you would treat a medical condition, a physical medical condition. You know, if you had heart problems, you'd go to a heart doctor. If you, if, you know, if you, um, if you had diabetes, you know, you'd, you'd take insulin. If you mm. have a mental health problem or anxiety and it can be treated with um, medication. There's no shame in it. Doesn't make you weak. So reach out for help and be open to the help that's out there. There's also something here, as I'm listening to both of you, is that when you do need help and when you do seek help for your mental health issues, is to give yourself the space to receive that help. And that might mean taking a few weeks off work. That might mean taking three months off work, six months off work to allow yourself to get the treatment that you need to also remove the stresses and the triggers that keep overactivating your nervous system. And from that point, then you can make the decision of maybe the workplace is no longer right for me. Or maybe it's I've got a better handle on my mental health issues and I've got more tools and resources in my back pocket now to bring out when I do go back to work. Building on that, I eventually was able to develop almost like a 
anxiety response playbook. Because while my first round of, of um, medication and treatment was successful and it dramatically reduced my anxiety and I actually became quite calm at work and successful and able to enjoy the job, it wasn't the first or last time that I had anxiety. What I encountered ever since then, and it's been about seven years since then, was that periodically my anxiety would come back. And sometimes it would be triggered by work, sometimes it would be triggered by things in my personal life, sometimes it would happen not long after I had stopped my medication. I eventually became really good at recognizing my own symptoms and that I had transitioned from stress to anxiety, because while the first time round, I may not have known what was happening, when it happened the second, the third, the fourth time round, I became very good at quickly recognizing what was happening. Mm. And when that happened, I quickly went into action mode. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling anxious. It's been going on for more than a week or two. This is probably no longer stress. Um, am I on medication? Yes or no. Is the dose the right amount? Yes or no. I should go talk to my doctor. Um, am I exercising? Do I need three weeks off work? Um, do I need to go to yoga? And I would just have this sort of checklist that I would run through. Um, and I became very, very good at it. So, and more confident to execute my plan when I needed to. So, you know, three years later, it almost became like, you know, executing a well-oiled strategy. Mm. I'm anxious. I tell my employer, I'm having some mental health problems. Can I have three weeks off? Yes. I immediately go see my psychiatrist. We talk about my medication. Um, I fix my diet. I fix my sleep. I exercise. I do yoga. And within three weeks, I'm almost able to nip it in the bud and return quite refreshed. And what you're doing there is it's self-focused living, which most of our workplaces don't, they don't tell us that that's okay. Mm. But it has to be, otherwise you can't function. You have to be able to put yourself first and know that you're worthy of that. Otherwise, you won't manage and it's not sustainable. And just like they tell you on planes, you have to put your mask on before you can help others. So if you will, while it might seem terrible, how could I do this to my employer, take three weeks off in the middle of this important project to, you know, focus on myself and get better. But it's like, but if I don't, I'm just kicking the can down the road. I, if, I don't, if I don't do this now, I'm likely to have a worse breakdown in a month's time and then have even more time off work that will be even more disruptive. Mm. So better to do it proactively um, with communication, with notice, so that my mm. employer has the chance to respond and, and maybe bring in other resources, rather than me just breaking down all of a sudden with no notice, leaving my employer in the lurch. So you're very much proactively owning your mental health, taking charge of it. Yeah. I think so, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You are. Yes. You really are. You are. Yeah, and yeah. so consider this an empowerment to you if you're hearing this and thinking, ugh. Something's got to change. Put yourself first. And I do think, look, you know, there are some horrible bosses out there, but I do think your employer can only thank you for it. Hassan, thank you so much for sharing so much of your story and, and so being so vulnerable with us. Thank you both. It's a pleasure. I hope it is, helps even one listener out there. Thank you, Hassan. In our next episode, we're going to be talking about when a relationship ends. When we break up with that person who has been so significant to us, it can feel like we've lost a part of who we are. But how do we work through that pain to the point where we feel complete on our own, knowing that we alone are enough? That's in the next episode of Best of You. 
Best of You was created in collaboration with the House of Wellness. Written and presented by me, Jo Stanley, and my co-host, Dr. Jamie Lee, executive producer, Alex Mitchell, and audio production by Nicola Sitch. Listener.